0: to lonely home for me I won't be back in a year as all the fallen leaves the birds
1: the breeze capture me again and all the lies you tell someone else sure could use and
0: welcome way. back to another episode of Into the Wilderness brought to you by Seawill Canada I'm your host Dan Laongergan um, as always you can find our show on Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your favorite shows. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel, like and subscribe to that. Hit a reminder on Spotify so you get notified when our newest episodes go live, which is every Tuesday. Um, check out our website, seawallcanada.ca. Uh, a lot of things changing on our website, so we're it's constantly evolving, uh, the look and feel of it. So make sure to check it out for all things work integrated learning. Um, this is probably going to be our last episode before we take a little break for the the holiday season and uh we're going to get into a, a, a different kind of feel i think on this one normally you know we've got specific topics we've talked a lot about the the student work placement program we've talked about different types of will and we've had some great guests today we're, we're going to dive a bit deeper into some some behind the scenes happenings at institutions with work integrated learning and sometimes some of the challenges that presents and We've, uh, we've talked in the past on the show about barriers to will, and, and even on the last episode, when we were talking about co-op, and those are often you know, the big ones that come to mind. Uh, so financial barriers for students that might have to relocate for a co-op position, um, or just opportunity to certain work terms or roles, depending on their location. Um sometimes, you know, sometimes structure of the university comes in or the college and how many opportunities that students have. Is it an opportunity that every student in every program has? Or are there some that are a bit more ripe with will opportunities? So there's a lot going on. Um, but, but one of those barriers that we haven't really touched on is the inner workings at the institution um, and not anyone in specific. I mean, different things happen at different places, uh, but sometimes these barriers can actually stop will in its tracks before it even gets started or there may be a will opportunity that that occurred and for some of these barriers or some of these reasons it kind of cancels it because of you know one factor or another and we're going to dive into a little bit of that today um, drawing on on our own experience in this space uh, but also things that we've seen and and I'm very excited uh, to welcome my guest today Uh, good Good friend of mine, close colleague here at SeaWill. She's our Director of uh, Work Integrated Learning. Uh, Currently oversees many, many initiatives, uh, including our iHub. Um, Previously, she oversaw experiential learning at the Williams School of Business at Bishops in Quebec, and also runs a side hustle as a cupcake designer for weddings and events, Uh, Charlene Marion. Charlene, welcome into the wilderness.
1: Hi, Dan, really happy to be here.
0: And and fun fact, second bonus fun fact um our our title of this show into the wilderness was actually something that you said on a on a meeting totally unknowing that it was going to turn into it we weren't like brainstorming episode or podcast titles you just said it first i don't even remember why you said it and i remember hearing it and thinking that's what we're going to call the show so uh so thank you for that
1: <laughs> glad i could help even when and
0: uh it. Not only do you design cupcakes, but you also designed our logo. So you, you do many things, many, many surprise things as director of will, which includes cupcake and graphic design and naming podcasts. So thank you for everything that you do. Um, Anytime. So we're, we're talking about institutional barriers or, you know, I think if we wanted to name it institutional inertia, Um, around work integrated learning and and this might be a touchy subject uh, for some folks if you're listening or you you know you might be sitting there and thinking like yes this is this is 100 percent my lived experience at times not all the time Um, but you know Charlene when you think of of the phrase or the, the the terms institutional inertia what are some things that kind of jump out to you or come to mind, just generally speaking, and then we can dive into, you know, more specifics.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I I think I would preface everything by saying, you know, we've have seen so many amazing individuals come forward, project leads, professors, will practitioners, educators come forward through the IHUB. It's been so inspirational, aspirational on many levels as well. Um, But it hasn't come without challenges for these individuals within their institutions. So, you know, some of these people would call themselves champions. Uh, They would call themselves educational disruptors, change makers within their institutions. And um, sometimes that's not always easy for them. And so, you know, before we jump into this, you know, I just want to kind of shout out to all of those people who, despite the barriers, despite inertia, and despite all of the things that come down on them, that at the end of the day, they're willing to fight for students to remove barriers and to give them an experience uh, that can be really transformative um, for their career, for their educational paths. So I think it's important to say thank you to all these change makers that are out there that keep Trying to knock the walls down, um, but those walls exist, and you know some of them have been around just institutional structures. Um, and you know some of that can be changed. Some of that we have to work within. Um, you know we have seen so much from a reporting standpoint, and knowing that um, from the iHub or any type of funding. So whether that is um, you know, SWIP funding, um, you know, provincial funds that are, are available. Uh, a lot of that comes back to reporting and that has been a huge barrier and huge challenge within institutions, predominantly because of lack of resources. So when project leads or professors have to take that on, in addition to the work that they're already doing, um, it's difficult, it's difficult to collect, um, personal data of students, even with their consent, um, and we know that's very, very sensitive. Um, so we've been back and forth, even with legal departments at the iHub around uh, FIPADA and for provincial versus uh, national legislation. Um, so that just even before we get anything started uh, is a challenge in itself. Uh, so just the whole piece around um, data sharing, information, um, you know, self-disclosing information—all of those pieces—is a huge barrier. How do we do it? How do we do it well? How do we do it properly? What are the processes? Uh, that's been—that's been huge.
0: And and just in case you're listening to this and you think, what what is this iHub? What are we talking about? Probably something that will feature uh, on a future episode. But it is, you know, it's Sewell's, efforts at getting essentially getting money into the hands of students um, engaged in work integrated learning um, in some of you know the the less common if you want to call it that types of things like service learning uh, community industry projects entrepreneurship uh, and I'm missing one projects projects okay yeah. yeah and and we'll come back to that concept of, of actually getting money into the hands of students and how that that has been a challenge. But I want to I want to come back to the the first piece that you were talking about, just just at the faculty level, what it means to the individual um, in, in engaging in these these exact types of work, integrated learning. So things that show up in their courses, right? So service learning projects, entrepreneurship initiatives. Um, because, yeah, you mentioned that sometimes that's that's a well, most of the time, right? And, and speaking strictly to the curricular types of, of work-integrated learning, it's a choice that they have to make, right? Do I do I bring this yep. into my course? Okay, that's you know that's thought number one, um, and what that does to my teaching style, what it means for my student learning, anything like that. And then it starts to you know sink into the, the mind. Okay, like once I've decided that I'm going to do this in my course. What does that mean? Come the end of it, and and this is where sometimes, as I mentioned, you can see a will opportunity take place or happen, and then afterwards suffer a barrier. For things like, you take course review as an example, and and this is this is a widely debated topic, and I mean we could probably spend hours talking <laughs> about academic course review and and the impact that has or the validity of that piece of paper. Um, but just, again, from personal experience, what I've seen is that students can perceive will a number of ways, right? And and we've talked about that just as far as like their skill development, pushing them outside their comfort zone in because of that happens or because it's not just the standard way of, of consuming information and that we've essentially created students to kind of be that passive uh, participant in a classroom. Yeah. Um, that. When you flip that, if it's uncomfortable, it translates to I don't like this course. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a, a not so great review because I didn't like this project, not because the project was of any lesser quality. And if that's the case, okay, that's a different reason. Just because it was different, it was tough. I didn't like it, and all of a sudden, there go that it's gone. Like next next term, that that project and that course doesn't happen because it was too negative of a hit on that course review. Um, and then that starts to bleed into this conversation of of will whether it is or whether it isn't connected to things like tenure and promotion Um, and you see that a lot more kind of on on the university campuses where it's not necessarily like ironclad in those agreements i think it's very rare to actually see it so it's like i'm I'm putting in the extra time but i really believe in this style of, of teaching and learning for my students however if it starts to negatively impact things like my course review, which then translates into negatively affecting my, my TNP path, I'm not going to do it. Um,
1: yeah. And even if it just doesn't positively impact it, right? So Like a neutral. Know, we could, yeah. We could go down the path of, wow, this actually could negatively impact my course evaluations. But it, it could also just, you know, down the path of it not being recognized as something that's Valuable, and you know, you and I are both from universities, uh, the university context. But you know, I've seen you know, professors that are doing this, and it's wonderful and it is having a positive impact on their teaching scores. But if you look at the research portfolio, you're taking a lot of time to build these amazing experiences for the students, and you know, so your research profile might you know, might um, not be where it it could be because of that. And also, you know, if you're if you're looking at the community aspect on, on professor evaluations. It's not always explicit, you know, communities often, how much committee work do you do at, at your institution? Not necessarily, how are you involved in the community itself or with industry? So I think it's also about uh, part of that inertia or some of the barriers for professors themselves are creating that straight line um, and tying work integrated learning into, and we're talking about curricular work integrated learning, right? right but tying that curricular will into faculty evaluations to be able to get that into a regular piece for tenure and promotion, because we know the positive impacts, the students know the positive impacts of it, and professors who do it know the positive impact that it's bringing to their students and um, to education and how it's bolstering uh, the curriculum. But if it's not a clear path, it's or clearly defined and stated how this additional work because it is additional work let's not hide that it is no, we're oh not absolutely hide it. It, it takes more time energy effort it's the the fruits that it bears are i would say the return on investment is definitely there but it just needs to be a clear path and so i think the academic side of our institutions particularly within university settings need to be clear if they want experiential and work integrated learning to be fundamental pieces of their strategic plans that there needs to be um, that line drawn very clearly from work integrated learning experiential learning activities and how that impacts uh, promotion in the future
0: i agree And, and i think this is where you know in the in the situations where you see um, you know, you mentioned these these champions of of will experiential learning, and I've seen it on some institutional campuses where there is like a faculty cohort, um, and it's campus wide, of these these champions that come together, and they they kind of act as that that academic leading voice, normally alongside uh usually a pretty strong structure on the staff side that also does support them in all the work they do but they can take those those types of conversations that you're saying up to senior administration right up to to whether it's union agreements or or tnp processes to look at starting to change that um and you know in in the years where we used to go to conferences and actually get on a plane and travel I ended up going to quite a few in the states, and and I noticed that was a bit of a stronger connection at a lot of institutions uh, south of the border, where they, those movements had happened and they they had started and they were getting that support and processes had changed um, to now like integrating curricular will was the the most attractive way to move through that yeah. that process and especially for a lot of new professors. Uh, or new instructors, you know, ones that were doing it at institutions, maybe that didn't recognize we're getting scooped up like left, right, and center. It's because it's like, yeah, like we want you. So they were bringing them in. Um, so it became a way like that, that people were really differentiating themselves as they were beginning kind of their academic career uh, from a teaching perspective. But, you know, we, on, on the topic of structure and, and we'll stick with Canada. Cause that's, that's what we are. See, Will Canada. Um, yeah. And I guess, you know, it's twofold. So yeah, there's the, there's the faculty side of the structure, but then there's also the the staffing piece. And I mean, not to go too deep, because I think this is probably, again, an episode that we could spend a full amount of time just talking about experiential learning structure or will structure on a campus, decentralized, decentralized. But as far as the, the inertia is concerned and the topic that we're talking about today, where do you see structure impacting that or, or having a hand uh, benefiting or hindering the the whole uh, innovative will or the, the creation of will opportunities?
1: We've definitely seen, um, at least from the IHUB standpoint, and I think there's some generalizations that can be made across the board where we have those centralized will or EL offices and having the staff to support so they might not be the project lead for example the professors the project lead on it but there's definitely the will or el support person that's there to to help move things along help build out the partnerships help with evaluations data collection um, you know all the things that you and i dan used to do um, you know before we before we rolled over to um to this position so definitely institutions that have um, that centralized will office or el office to support curricular will it's just so much smoother Um, for the project lead and and for us like i'm not even gonna lie the team you know when you have that one point of contact um, for sort of all of the projects it just it makes everybody's lives easier Um, and it's a little bit more of a seamless process that doesn't go, that doesn't mean that decentralized institutions don't have some structures in place where they have supports and um, those still exist. And there's been some, there's been some, some smooth, um, smooth pieces moving there too. I, I think where the, the big challenge is, is sometimes smaller institutions that don't have that support person uh, clearly defined Um, and in some provinces we know that work integrated learning is still an up-and-coming term and so they might not have those resources or those individuals clearly in place so those professors those change makers those disruptors while they have all of uh, the desire to do these things they just don't have the supports in place to be able to do them. So, um, for sure, the centralized, those centralized offices with the, with the one or multiple contacts with the project support, it's, it's made a world of difference for, um, for people.
0: Yeah. And, and one thing again, to, to those individuals, uh, out there that, that are kind of operating, on an island or, or in a silo and and oftentimes it is faculty members doing these yeah. types of things off the sides of their desk like kudos to you right for for taking the, you know, putting the the effort forward and, and saying you know what, like I believe in this, this is the way I want to teach my course. The the challenge it presents and again this is at the institutional side is like, if that individual goes on a sabbatical now there's a a term of students that aren't that might not be getting this opportunity yeah. so there's just like a gap because much like the knowledge, like they take that whole experience with them. Um, and it's just like, that's just like a very basic, simple level of where a bit of a more centralized process, again, if, if you can build it, if the resources are there from your institution to fund it, it, it's like a stopgap, right? So now it's like, okay, just because you might be, and not to say the course is going to be exactly the same, but that most of those components. Could at least be approached to whomever might be teaching that course, uh, in the interim or teaching a different section, yeah. to say, "Hey, here's here's kind of our best practices. This is what we this is what we've been doing. Do you want to keep it going?" Um, but I mean, to to put that energy in, and, and obviously there's there's supports in place um, outside of of staffing, and I mean there's different platforms that that you could get into, and I've, I've talked to a lot of people who operate on their own. That do start to rely on those types of things uh, to help help them get their students the most impactful and quality experience that they possibly can.
1: Yeah, and I think you know it it, it just comes to the individual. And I've met so many of these people um, through panel discussions, through just informal conversations. They're just a different breed of human. Like. They are it's, um, they don't, they just have intrinsic love for what they do. And so, you know, you can't build a whole program on intrinsic love. I've always said that not to really sound super cynical, but but the people that do it will continue to do it. Um, but we need to have supports in place. And, you know, one of the really creative solutions that I've seen a couple of faculty members do is tie in some of the work the will work that they're doing back into research so they kind of get that two for one where they're still working on their research portfolio but they've kind of you know kept a discipline specific but brought in a little bit more of the teaching and learning side or educational pedagogy within that area so that's been one of the creative solutions that i've seen some faculty do um, which i thought was was really really interesting so um,
0: And I think that's an area that that in Canada, again, speaking specific, that that still has a lot of ways to go um, as far as connecting work, integrated learning, experiential learning into research um, and to truly like, you know, it's been well documented the impact of of will types like co-op on the student process, their employability. But diving into some of these other takes and, and people have definitely gone down that path. I think it's, more and more institutions, whether it's internal funding that they have to fund this type of research, even looking at ourselves at SeaWill to say, you know, can we boost the, the the annual, you know, little bit of research money that we do offer? Can we increase that? Can we start opening it up to recognizing research that is into these other will types, like the ones covered by IHUB, service learning, yeah. community projects, to really start to, you know, paint that picture of okay, if we're gonna start looking at these will types that are, if, if it's 100% of your programs on a campus, doesn't matter if you're enrolled in a co-op program or not, you're getting these opportunities, there's no additional costs to a student to participate in them. What kind of impact is that having on, on them from a learning point of view, from a um, self-efficacy, career competency point of view? I mean, you want to take it one step further. If you could start to draw lines into your community and the impact that, yeah. because most of these do involve external partners in one way or another, you know, are you building capacity in, in your community through through economic development and job creation? It's not easy. Like this, these are large research topics yeah. that take multiple years to study. I'm not insinuating. It's like, oh yeah, there's a little quick, you know, one year things. Um, they take definitely time and energy to to think this through and how you would map this out, but I think there's a there's a huge opportunity to start really recognizing the folks who are who are doing this and encouraging them to put both kind of the community piece of their their duty, if you want to call it that, but also their research efforts if they're keen to research this area um, and you know really lead that conversation that uh, that I think a lot more people should be encouraging.
1: And. Dan, if I can add something, and it's maybe slightly controversial what I'm about to say, but that's what I guess makes it fun and exciting. It's what we're about today. Um, You know, it it, it is around faculty support as well. And I don't mean support from like administration. I mean, even within their departments and their colleagues. Mm. And so I've had conversations with individuals across the country who have come back and said, you know, I'm just going to keep doing this because A, the students love it. I'm making a difference in my community or in, you know, small business, whatever the project might be. But they're having a really hard time internally um, because I like, call it jealousy, call it, you know, uh comfort levels call it inertia call it whatever you want um but tenure can bring that sometimes in our in institutions right where we get comfortable we we do things a certain way and we don't want to change and then somebody comes in and blows it all up and does some Super creative, innovative things that students adore and are talking about that our institutions are picking up in their comms, uh, that's getting outside media attention, interviews, all of these things. And then it's really isolating because they find themselves alone because of that. I'm going to call it institutional jealousy. Um, because now all of a sudden people are talking about all these amazing things and ooh, maybe I have to change what I'm doing. So I think it's important for us at SeaWill, and what we've started to try to do is create communities of practice for like minded people who want to go above and beyond and who believe in these types of, um, you know, learning frameworks and pedagogies and ways of doing things so that they don't feel alone. And we've seen some of those connections happen and, you know, connecting the dots across uh, across the country at various institutions so that they're not on an island and that they're not alone and because you need support. And if you're not getting that internally within your, with your colleagues, it's just another layer. Like it sounds like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fighting the internal structures and I'm fighting my colleagues because they're jealous of what I'm doing and don't want to do it. And so I just have such a a great deal of admiration and respect for the people that just keep doing it because it's, it's not easy, but it's so worth it. I just got to keep saying it so that I don't sound negative because we want, students want it, you know, industry wants it, community wants it. Um, we just need to find those ways to make it a little bit more accessible for, for the faculty side as well.
0: Right, and and I mean, there's, I agree with, with everything you're, you're saying, right? And I, I've lived through that experience and I've seen it happen. And there's, there's kind of, yeah, there's the, the two phases of you keep fighting the fight because if you be, you believe in it and you've got that energy and no matter what happens, it's your course. You're going to keep doing it, right? But then there's also, at some point, the other side of I I just can't do this anymore. Yeah. There's too many things against me. Or I'm not at that point where I can take these risks because I'm locked in and I can do whatever I want kind of thing, which is a, a there's pros and cons to that mentality yeah. uh, for sure. But as far as, you know, doing innovative things if you can do whatever you want obviously it opens up a lot of opportunities i've even seen it i mean not not directly will related but it comes to just innovative courses in general yeah and and i don't want to i'm not going to spend too much time on this but i have seen where not not just enrollments because obviously new courses sometimes can be a challenge to get you know minimum enrollment numbers but really like for for faculty who are really in touch with labor market trends and, and skill gaps and knowing it's like, okay, what's gonna set my students apart. And, and this yeah. is a lot of the times where these curricular will things come in to do that. But even just from a, a basic skill, I, I remember a course, I'm not gonna get into the details of it, but it, it truly did flip that, that particular subject on its head. It was skills in that course were being taught very in demand in industry. Um, super relative, very few courses like it existed in the country, in in North America in general. And it, but it wasn't it wasn't what was expected. It wasn't necessarily I'll say as easy as as students perceived what it would be. Complaints came up. This is too hard, and the course got scrapped. You know from from higher up kind of decisions of like, well, there's, there's too much negativity. I don't think you can run this course. And it's super unfortunate because, you know, something so small as this is too hard or I didn't like it can just stop that right in its tracks. And, and it's, I mean, it's tying into a lot of the stuff that yeah. you've been saying as well, just around different barriers. Um, but no, not, not to sound negative all the time because there are hundred percent, those people out there that will keep doing it. will keep, pushing and fighting because they know the the value and the benefit it brings to their students, to the community, and to themselves. Um, I've, I've heard so many times yeah. from faculty who said, you know what, I was I was just getting tired of my course, the way I was teaching it. I wanted to do something different. This was the best thing I've ever done. It's like re-energized me as an instructor, um, as yeah. like, you know, just a, a colleague, uh, and also with my students, like, and that's, that's where you really start to see those those numbers on course reviews start to jump because they've approached it that way of, I'm, I'm just tired of doing the same thing term after term after term, I've got to do something different. And that's where, you know, with the funding that that you've kind of been leading with iHub to, to lead some of these innovative changes. So whether it's launching a brand new course or flipping a course on its head, um, I, you know, I think from what I, what I know of the projects that have happened it sounds like there's a lot of that going on where there's these you know really positive changes happening but i said at the beginning because what you're doing is getting money into the hands of students in one way or another that hasn't been as you know easy as going to the atm and or going to the (laughs) bank and here you go here's here's your check for participating um what like you know not you don't need to dive into super super specifics but (laughs) as far as a couple of challenges around the movement of funds
1: so institutions generally in canada are very used to moving around research dollars they're used to dealing with you know shirk and circ how grants work how grants are administered and they go through professors and they often flow to students for research assistantships and those types of things Um, so institutions kind of come at you um and come at this funding with a similar lens and it is in fact not the purpose of this funding at all Uh, as you mentioned it's to get in the hands of students it's not meant to support salaries or a whole lot of direct project costs we cover some but it's to get you know remove barriers for students and so The team has seen and the iHub team has seen just institutional barriers of getting the money out to the students and in their hands, like how that process would take place. So are the finance offices set up to You know, do we still cut students checks? Um, Is it a bursary? Is it a is it a stipend? Is it a gift card? Is it you know, how do how do we do this? And if do we just put it on their student account. So there have been a whole lot of questions at some institutions um, to say, how do we we don't have these processes in place internally to get money to students because we're not used to doing it that way. We, you know, we we pay out grants. We pay for project costs that have an invoice attached to it. So that's been challenging for some of our project leads is just figuring out the internal um, landscape of how that could work. And so I always, our team has gotten very good at at helping project leads say, okay, ask the questions up front before you submit your budget to find out how it works and then let's work your budget to fit your institution. So it could be a stipend, it could be a gift card, it could be a bursary. It's sometimes in the wording, um, but let's do it upfront. So we're getting better at that and we're learning what some of the barriers are at institutions uh, and also can say at institution ABC in the past, it's worked like this. Maybe you should do it this way. So, you know, as we get some, some knowledge uh, built, uh, foundational knowledge and getting to know our partners, funded partners a little bit better, we're able to better serve the project leads who might be new uh, coming to the table and And don't have the internal, you know, coordinator or, or that position working with them.
0: Right. And that's why I've always, I mean, where I look at the, the, the value of a, like a seawall membership, for example, not to, not to plug our own <laughs> membership, but Hey, it's, it's our podcast. So that's what we're going to do. We could do whatever um, we want, but it's, it's this, it's the sharing of best practices if you're at an institution that is, you know, fairly decentralized. If you don't have a, have a team of colleagues to build your own best practices with that, you can look to others across the country to say like, Hey, what are you doing? And, and it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's isolated to, you know, just staff practitioner. I, I, I encourage faculty as well. join in that communication and conversation and it's similar to like well you know one of the the biggest faculty reservations is my course is too big or or there's students in first and second year right like we've heard that conversation time and time again and it's okay where are there people where are there examples of where this has happened um or what people have done in a class of you know 1500 first year students it's been done right yeah so But it's sharing that people don't know unless you talk to each other. And it's similar to this, like moving money at the end of the day, not a complicated thing to do. But yes, sometimes if it's never been done in that way or if the structure doesn't already exist, creating it can take some time. It requires conversations with the right people um, at an institution. But ultimately, you know, hopefully you you would hope that that's not something that would derail an entire project or an or innovative will from happening just because a process didn't want to change, or we just couldn't come to a solution that worked as far as getting whatever this is a gift card or a, a, a student account reimbursement sorted out.
1: But it is, and that's the yeah. really sad and. For me, more maybe more than sad, scary is that some of these internal ways of of doing, um, and no other reason than this is the way we've always done it and this is how we do things. Um, So, you know, when you have an innovator who's doing cutting edge educational um, pedagogies and having to deal with these behemoth processes and systems that don't think innovatively it's like the clash of the titans right so I'm willing to bend myself backwards to change things as an innovator but now I'm just keep smashing up against a wall and people keep telling me no I can't you know it's going to take you six weeks to open up a project account and then we'll transfer the money in or it's going to take us six weeks to pay students um, on a project um, when, you know, they're up against our deadlines that, that, you know, that we've set for the funding. So, you know, procurement, who knew procurement could be an issue where, you know, we want to get laptops or software or iPads for students, but we have to pass through the institution, but the institution doesn't want to service it or the institution, um, says we have to go through this provider because we have an agreement with them, but it takes eight weeks or they get pushed down, you know, the the timeline um, because it's not a priority. So, uh, you know, some of the things have just been outright ridiculous, in my opinion, um, and just kudos to the project leads who have stuck with it and said, no, oh, this is for the students and i believe in this and i'm just gonna keep fighting the good fight but i don't know if they're gonna keep fighting the good fight over and over and over and over again right right
0: yeah and that's that like you know the examples that you're you're listening those can be those barriers where no matter how much an individual wants to continue doing this it's it's so kind of ludicrous and when you think about it it's like you know what forget it especially now that you've got external funding deadlines most likely and what I would assume is that individual is going to do what they wanted to do in their course there'll be no no money attached to it like the students you know it'll still be um like a zero dollar kind of project which is common but it's a missed opportunity for everyone and I mean I think I think we live in in a time now where we if if you're still you know hung up on on the way that We've been doing things or used to do things like look at all the things that have changed in the last two years like if if you have if you held that mentality for everything we would have been going into in-person meetings every day for the last two years but it's like well you didn't have a choice well what if you try to apply that same thinking you know with some of these things of what if you didn't yeah. have a choice what if you had to change the way you did things with this case of, of you know financial reimbursement uh, and I know it's not the same as clicking on a a team's call or a zoom meeting. yes, it's it's a bit more complicated than that. Um, but i I'm hesitant to say that it it can't be done with you know without just a good conversation around, okay, how how else could we do this?
1: And I think it it does come down to um, the messaging that senior leadership. I, I'm not going to be the person that, you know, Um, always puts it back to senior leadership. But I think institutions that have been very clear in stating that they're student-centered, student-first, and, you know, we all should be student-centered and student-first at an institution because that's who we are serving, you know? Right. Um, But those institutions that have done that have been able to build in processes with that mindset. So, regardless if you're, um, you know, student services, if you're an auxiliary service, if you're a finance department, if that's clearly, um, you know, a, a, a top down message where we will do anything to serve the student and student first, then I think that openness to different ways of doing things, if it's serving the student, and if it's helping the student, then we we do it that way. So it's, it's. I think there is a role to play um, from our, um, you know, the senior admins offices at our institutions um, to, to make sure that things don't get hung up uh, or projects don't take place or innovation, scarier than that, innovation as a whole. We're talking about, you know, work integrated learning right. and experiential learning but innovation as a whole, like, you know, you're going to lose good people or they're going to stop doing phenomenal things for your institution that maybe students are going there for.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, similar, you know, the course example I, I was talking about, like that, that's an innovative thing, but it, yeah. to your point, like it's, it's basic leadership, right? It's leadership one-on-one, like tone at the top. It, it's going to trickle down. It's going to impact everyone who works at that like in this case at that institution um and yeah I mean uh, fort. I was fortunate enough to to be at an institution and and come from an institution that had that support and and I saw the impact and still does have that support um the impact that it has day to day on, on everyone like every aspect because it's it's inherently connected into the strategic plan of the institution and and what we want to be um, not just for the people that work there but for the students but also for the community um and it really is kind of a collective um environment if you want to call it that in a sense um i i know we we talked about and and just kind of being mindful of of time here too and we talked about data and reporting and i mean anytime you have to start something by thinking about FIPA and, and any other yeah. legislation, it's like, Ooh, this is, this is a big conversation. Um, just from, from my, my experience and, and, you know, surely I'll get you to comment on yours as well, but data sharing around work, integrated learning, or even data collection is, is hit and miss across the country. Yep. Like ev- everybody does it differently. Different provinces are interested in different metrics. the the federal government, you know, what they want to know versus what's actually meaningful from an institutional level, like what, what translates, I guess, if you want to call it that there's no real consistency in the, in the non, I'd say the non co-op landscape, right? Like the the remaining areas of will. So again, from, from what you're doing, I know there's a lot of of a data sharing component to the iHub funding and that process. So I guess similar to the financial barrier, has have you seen that on the data side of things, that be something that just stops stops innovation dead in its tracks, or is that not as bad as the the finance piece?
1: I think it's a challenge. Uh, I don't. I think the individuals that we work with are um, typically used to. They're on. They understand that with funding comes reporting and. Right. We need to be accountable for, we all need to be accountable. So our funded institutions need to be accountable to fund what they said they were going to fund. And then, um, us as Seawill as a, as a partner of, uh, of the government of Canada, we need to be accountable to them to say we're spending the money the way we said we would spend the money. So, you know, fundamentally reporting and data collection is understood. And it's understood that it's part of accountability. So it's just the the internal processes sometimes that are developed or not developed, or the things that we are asking for in the way we're asking for it is not the same way that the institution asks for it. So yeah, I agree. There's that. There's not a consistent way of collecting data across. Um, work integrated learning at this point in time, different types of experiences. Um, but if I had to say, you know, the the data that we're collecting through iHub, there's some really interesting pieces that are coming out of, out of there. And we ask, um, part of it is around contribution. So industry or community partner contribution has to be 20% of the total project cost. And so we've concretely We're able to say that industry and community have contributed, you know, X million dollars uh, in kind. So that could be supervisory hours, equipment, space, those types of things, or cash um, to work integrated learning in Canada. So we were able to say from our, you know, January to April, 2021, $4.9 million was contributed from Will Industry and Community Partners on you know nine thousand three hundred individual experiences, so uh, the data that's coming out, I think it is valuable and it 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 does send a message that work-integrated learning is important and that industry is willing to contribute, um, but that it's also making an impact. Um, so you know some of it's more quantitative, others pieces are more qualitative. So we've been able to collect. Uh, been able to collect, um, you know, quotes and statements um, that sometimes are way more powerful. To be honest with you, than saying you know, ninety percent of industry and community partners would, uh, you know, work with students in this applied project again at institution X. Yeah, that's great to say it, but when you have a heartfelt statement from a community organization that said, you know, these thirty students came into my organization, and forever change the way we're going to do things, and I'm forever grateful for that experience. Wow, those are, you know, those are things that the professors need to hear, that the students need to hear, that, um, you know, the government needs to hear. Um, and I think it's up to C. will, um, for us and our team to also translate that back to institutions. So figuring out, you know, uh, figuring out those ways that, institutions recognize, oh, wow, that project that, you know, Professor so-and-so did, um, that was kind of a pain in my butt through, you know, we had to report things and we had to go through finance and we had to jump over hurdles. But, you know, those people were all key parts of making this amazing thing happen. So I guess it's deriving value um, and sending and communicating, better communicating that value to all of the stakeholders. And sometimes I think some of the stakeholders in the institutions um, get lost in it and don't also get some of, you know, a small piece of, of the credit for making it happen. And I think if maybe we help support it in that, that inertia or some of those barriers might might not be there. So,
0: yeah, and I think that's that's a really good way to, you know, present a, a potential solution to a lot of the things that we've we've talked about over the last yep. you know, hour or so is that ultimately my my thing and I know you you share a similar agreement it's like if you're going to ask for data if you're going to collect it you better do something with it yep. um, and in this case it's that storytelling piece like you said the the qualitative side of it and and we used to do it too internally where we'd ask those those basic questions like yeah would you do this again did you find it valuable on a scale of you know, whatever one to five one to ten yeah. great you get a number from that um and then we we kind of said like well, okay well we looked at it and we're like what can we we can't really you don't really tell a story with this so we started flipping it and and collecting you know more honest comments from our students from um community and this is also how we integrated the reflection piece on the student side but man what what started coming out and and the comments to your point exactly it's like this is this is what makes all of those other you know, speed bumps along the way this is why i continue to fight that fight and, and it re-energizes or it motivates people no matter what your role is uh but it, it is still telling you got to tell that story like it's it's great that you collect it and that you've got it but it's like who needs to see that who who needs to hear it so that change can happen or that if, people don't fear the change as much because now they have a purpose or now they have a reason to make that change. Um, and I think, uh, like I said, all of those items that we've talked about not can't be solved just by doing that, but certainly the, the tone around them um, yep. could be altered slightly. So I uh, I, I really want to thank you for coming on and, and diving me. into this very opinion uh, focused episode. And uh, I, I like this. I, I hope to do more of these in addition to, you know, kind of the, the way that we've been structuring them so far. Um, so, you know, if, if you're listening to this and it's something that you enjoyed, let us know. Um, you can email us at SeaWorld Canada. You can find me on, on LinkedIn. Send me a message there. Um, wh- whatever it might be. But uh, as I mentioned, yeah, we're, we're going to take a little break. We're going to be off for uh for the rest of the month into the new year but we'll be back with more guests uh, more discussions more opinions and uh again thank you to charlene marion for for joining me today and thank you all for listening and enjoy your your time over the holidays however it is that you celebrate and we will see you next time
1: i won't be back in a year All the fallen leaves, the birds, the breeze, capture
0: me again. And all the lies he tells, someone else sure could use a friend.